Hello and welcome to the Bridge City Church podcast. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church or come along to our Sunday service at 10am. We'd love to have a coffee and a chat. We hope you enjoy this week's message. See you at church. So yeah, as you know, I'm not an orator. But I'm going to speak to you from the heart this morning. I'm going to share what God's placed in my heart to share today. Um, it was interesting with the, with the kids, the, the importance of our kids in our generations. And a few weeks ago I shared out of Matthew chapter 18 verse 1, which talks about who is the greatest. When the disciples asked Jesus who is the greatest, he goes on to talk about, he talk, points to the kids. And we, we looked at the fact that um, we talked around the idea of childlike faith. What is childlike faith? Look, well, childlike faith is simply faith. It's faith. It's what it is. Um, that trust, that unswerving trust that a child has in his mum or his dad to, to do that, that drops from our head to our heart. Not a mental ascent, but a real understanding of that. Um, their humility. Um, kids understand they don't have any qualifications. They know that they've got no piece of paper. They know that they're, they're, they're bereft of any gifts except what you place in their hands. And they're prepared to receive them. And they have an incredible, an awe, they have an awe of, um, of, their, of their parents, of their father. We should have that same um, godly fear, that awe of Jesus and, and, and the King of Kings. Understand that uh, God's God and we're not. And kids have got this incredible way of sharing their love. They don't ration off their supply of love to somebody. They, they're just happy to pour it out with the full confidence that they're going to get that opportunity to re, be refilled. And the last thing we talked about was... Forgiveness, the incredible ability that kids have to so easily forgive. They can be mortal enemies at recess time and by lunchtime they're back being best friends and connected together um, in that. And I wanted to spend some time this morning and drill down on the idea of forgiveness. Um, why? Because I think at the moment, um, in the, the climate we find ourselves, that the idea of unforgiveness is really threatening um, all our relationships, no matter what we are. And as a community, as a church, as a nation, at the moment we are faced with incredible changes. There's things happening all the time which are challenging what we understand to be the norm. And when we bring that, we have that constant state of change, it brings the opportunity for miscommunication, misunderstanding, discomfort when someone sits in your seat in church. How uncomfortable is that? When that's where you're meant to sit, what's going on? And in the wider community, we have a, a, a pandemic, if you like, of that, of, of offence and unforgiveness. People are, um, thanks to social media, what a gift that is to us. People are happy to share their opinions with us on every subject at any moment. So this morning my aim really is to offence-proof you all, to vaccinate you against unforgiveness. That's my plan. Um, as we read God's Word and begin to talk around that this morning. Um, Jesus has a really, really strong word to say about unforgiveness. And if we go into that latter part of chapter 18, which I spoke about before in Matthew's Gospel. And we're going to read that scripture together now. It says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. What's the mass? 490. Therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors had brought to him who owed him millions of dollars. 
He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children and everything that he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were upset, very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man and he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the, king had the, king, the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's why my heavenly, what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. One of the hard sayings of Jesus. And I think that that, that scripture really allows us to understand that we need to take the issue of forgiveness seriously as we do life together. Again, 490 times. To forgive 490 times, what a picture that is. And we understand that in unforgiveness, every action, every action that we do promotes an opposite reaction as we do life. Um, what are some of the reactions to unforgiveness that can manifest as we do life? What are the things that can come up and show out? We can begin to be burn out. We begin to have compassion fatigue. That's a catch straw where we just get to a point where we can't Show that empathy for, for the people that have hurt us. Our joy gets stolen. Or do we give it away? Do we give it away? I think sometimes we actually surrender that into the hands of someone else. We surrender that joy into the hands of the person who we have unforgiveness against. Our words become harsh. I know my words become harsh in the unforgiveness. Not only towards the person that I have the problem with, but the people, the people that surround me. It pervades all of my life, not just the person who I have the offence or the unforgiveness with. Weariness. Not just a seasonal tide. We can be tired for a season, but it begins to wear us down. The burden of unforgiveness wears us down. It's a burden that we choose to carry. Now, just before COVID-19 season hit, I lost seven kilos. Found it again. (laughs) It's back. But the the, the incredible difference that when I I had lost that way, the incredible difference that it was to me in terms of the burden, it it, it was seen to be relatively insignificant, but it made a huge difference to the way I lived my life. So I might have to make a New Year's resolution maybe. (laughs) Go and work in the garden, that's right. I can't bend over though, that's the trouble, I can't bend over. What am I trying to say? The results of carrying unforgiveness can be damaged. It is damaged, simply that. It damages us. Damages to ourself. It can manifest itself in sickness and disease. And I want to read this to you. This is in my experience, and this is the, I've got to get this right because it's, it's wordy. It says, not everyone who is sick carries unforgiveness, but every person who carries unforgiveness 
is sick. I'll read that again. Not everyone who is sick carries unforgiveness. So it's not a matter of being that everyone's sick is carrying unforgiveness, but every person who carries unforgiveness is sick. And I think that spirit, soul and body, we see that manifested in people in their physical bodies as they carry that unforgiveness. It manifests itself in damage to our relationship, to our marriages, to our work, to our children, to the people that we work with in the place that we work in. So what do we do about that? When we see that, that manifestation of damage, we begin to treat the symptoms. We say, what, what's, what, what's the first thing that we see that we can treat at that point? So we try. We try and repair the damage caused to those relationships around us. We speak to counsellors. We can even spend some time in prayer and in, in prayer ministry. We try and reduce the reaction. We try and balance our lives. We try and lose weight. We try and, we try and balance things up. We try and moderate our words. And the key word there is try. We try in our own strength. As we focus on those symptoms, that, 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 that thing that we see manifesting in our life, we miss the root cause. We miss the, the cause of what actually is causing us to be in this place. And it's not always dealt with. So let's go back to that core issue. Let's look at that core issue that we're looking at. So how does unforgiveness get a hold in our lives? What's the way that it gets a grip? What's the thing, first thing that needs to happen for us for that unforgiveness to take root in our life? We have to get offended, don't we? We have to switch on Facebook. <laughs> How could they say that? Don't they know who I am? Don't they know that I'm worthy of respect? Don't they know what I've done? Don't they know my qualifications? Don't they know the years and years of, of service I've done in this place? So why is it? Why is it so hard to overlook that? Why is it so hard to, to overlook that offence? Why is it so hard to step past that? I think it just takes root like a weed. Lynn talked about the garden. If we walk across the flat here at the back here in a little while, it'll be covered in this carpet of cow trap, won't it? That first damp morning, the cow trap germinates. The second damp morning, there's a seed on it ready to go. It's just so easy for it to germinate and take hold. And I think the answer for us, the answer that I discovered as I read this through, is in that very first uh, verse in Matthew chapter 18 when they, the disciples asked the questions, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That was their question. Who's going to be at the top of the tree? I think I'm a bit better than you. And that wasn't the first time that happened. We had scripture records that James and John sought to have a seat at Jesus' right hand, at either side of Jesus in heaven. And he told him about what that's going to cost them. The pursuit of greatness and the curse of pride is when we seek to lift ourselves up above someone else, that we see ourselves as more worthy, as more important. I think that's the root of the tree of unforgiveness for us. It's pride. So we have the root of the tree, the pride, with the branches of burnout, of weariness, of harsh words in our life. And the fruit we see is damaged relationships, essentially. The fruit of unforgiveness is damaged relationships around us. And I'm sure you've heard this statement before, but it says, holding unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting someone else to die. 
holding unforgiveness like drinking poison, expecting someone else to die. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the sun go down. Deal, keep short accounts. But it doesn't say unless you are justified in your offence. It doesn't say unless you've already forgiven them for the same thing 489 times. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say unless they are a lower social understanding of you, unless they make less money than you, unless they're less unless they're less spiritually mature than you, it says just don't. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And all the stars of wisdom chime in on this point through the scriptures. We've got some of them to show this morning. And Ephesians, Paul goes on to say, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. And the evil behaviour there talks about malicious sanctions designed to hurt and injure the person who's offended you. And James says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. In the Psalms it says, stop being angry, turn from your rage, do not lose your temper, it only leads to harm. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon adds these words of wisdom, it says, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. I think that's a great scripture. Anger resides in the lap of fools. It's fools. And other translations talk about the, the picture of holding a grudge. That's really what that's saying, holding a grudge. In Proverbs it says, people with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. In verse 30 of that scripture goes on to say, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. That ties back to what we just spoke about before, about that unforgiveness in our heart, how it affects our body. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. And the last one comes again from Proverbs. It says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offence. It is his glory to overlook an offence. Glory really speaks, it talks about substance, the glory of God is the substance of God. And when we overlook an offence, for us, the substance of our character is revealed at that point as we overlook that offence. So we choose to forgive, that shows through. It's at that point of offence and disagreement, like we can, everything's going really good, it's all good, but when that point of disagreement comes, that's when the, the substance of our character is revealed. What's in us bubbles to the surface. And as we read in that scripture, Jesus said that we, the forgiveness must come from our heart. Talks about, he says it must be in our heart. Forgive in our heart. Forgive in our heart. Change our heart, change our words, change our actions. And there's a natural progression there as we do life. I've got a word that I share about the power of words. I'll speak about that perhaps another time. And that the core of that says that our thoughts become our words, our words become our actions. Our actions become our habits, and then our habits determine our character. But we'll talk about that another day. So how do we get to the source? How do we nip that in the bud? How do we get to that point before the cow drop gets to set seedling? How do we do that? How do we nip it in the bud? How do we deal with the infection before we pass it on to somebody else? How do we do that? Number one, you must choose to forgive. Must choose. 
if we wait for the moment to overtake us, to be overcome with, with love for the other person, then that's not always going to happen. <laughs> that, that sense is not going to be there. Um, it's just risky to try and set up those perfect conditions. In Ecclesiastes, again, Solomon talks about if you just watch every cloud and every, every wind, then you'll never sow a crop, you'll never do anything. It's the same in this situation. If we wait for that permit moment to speak to someone, to, to be a part of that, if we can wait till we are feeling love for that person, then we're in danger of missing the opportunity to do that. We need to deal with that short accounts, deal with it. We wait for that at our peril. We can't wait until, the same, until that person realises their fault. We can't say so we're going to wait until they've realised what they're up to. We can't wait until we've had the chance to thrash out the problem. I'm a person who likes to get in there and thrash out the problem when I've got a, a, a challenge with someone. But to put forward my case, but that's not going to work because without, I'm, I'm never going to get a, a response of reconciliation without forgiveness first. Forgiveness comes first. It starts in the heart and mind to do that. And it's quite possible the other person has completely no idea about the offence that I'm carrying at that point. No idea at all. So if I wait for that reconciliation to come, I'm going to be waiting a long time without forgiveness in my heart. Forgive first, reconciliation second. Thoughts become words, words become actions, acts become habits, and habits form our character. Number one. Number two. Do it now. In Matthew 5, 23-24 it says, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Best to deal with their offence straight up. Don't let that cow drop get any bigger. Don't let that plant grow. The longer we late, the longer we nurse our offence, the more we replay it over and over in our heart. We water the cowtrop plant with our tears, our own tears of self-pity. Do it now. And the last one is stay humble. Stay humble. Build your identity on Jesus, not on your own gifts and abilities, on Jesus. As Jesus walked the faith of the earth, and he's, um, he, he wasn't weak, he was humble. He walked, he, the scripture says he humbled himself, made himself of no reputation. How did he navigate his way through the world of betrayal and abuse and injustice that he did as he did life on earth? He, I believe it was because he did know who he was. He was fully aware of his identity, fully identified of his identity as the son of God. And I really believe that that same understanding of our state will allow us to be offence-proof, to be able to forgive freely and to love deeply as we do life. Because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We know that. The scripture tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. But we're also flawed and broken. We, we carry the scars of sin. But God in his grace sent Jesus to make a way for us where there was no way. Barb shared with that this one. There's always the opportunity to come back to the cross. That should inspire incredible gratitude in our hearts that we always have a way when there is no way in our own strength. And where gratitude lives, bitterness and unforgiveness struggle to take root. Struggle to take root. We think back, he was in the, in the, able in the midst of betrayal and pain in those darkest moments, he's nailed to the cross to be able to say, Father, forgive them. 
but they don't know what they're doing. Believe them for that. So I believe that we're challenged by Jesus himself to do that, to live a life of radical forgiveness, to be countercultural, to not be offended, to be prepared to forgive and forgive, not counting 479, 484, don't count down, but just be prepared to forgive from the heart, relying on his spirit and understanding who our identity is and where our destiny lies in him, not in our own strength, not in our own gifts, not in our own abilities, but in his strength and his strength alone. You get those so what are the three things you just talked about? Choose to forgive. Do it now. Stay humble. Stay humble. That's how we're going to vaccinate ourselves against the issue of unforgiveness. Okay, let me pray as we say goodbye to the guys online. Father God, I guess I'm thankful that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you that you love us dearly. But Lord, we, we come with brokenness. Father, I know that you are prepared to forgive us. Father, I pray that as you forgive us, that we might be able to freely um, allow that forgiveness to flow through us into the people that surround us. Allow us to be offence proof, a proof to be clean from that, uh, that unforgiveness, Father, that we might live in the fullness of your destiny for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure you subscribe to stay up to date with all our latest sermons. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church or come along to our Sunday service at 10am. 